Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Why are Chinese ceramics so valuable? Have you ever wondered that? Well, it has a lot to do with history, and ceramics have always had an important place in Chinese history, partly to do with their connection with tea ceremonies. The Chinese refined their techniques for making ceramics over thousands of years, advancing the art in ways that were unachieved elsewhere in the world. Chinese were collecting ceramics, and that goes back a long way too, beginning with the Tang Dynasty in the 8th century, continuing through the Song Dynasty, the 9th to 13th centuries, and then the famous Ming Dynasty in the centuries past that and beyond. Collectors evaluate a particular vase or a particular bowl by its style, its beauty, how rare and unusual it is, as well as its condition. And you know what else? Who owned the piece in the past, like knowing this, that it passed through these people's hands or were part of this family, that also has a huge effect on its perceived value. As a result, it's not unusual for a small vase to go for hundreds of thousands of dollars upwards into the millions. Uh, the Qianlong v- vase, it set a record uh, at an auction just a few years ago by selling for $53 million. And it's actually a more recent piece. It was only crafted in the 18th century. It stands about, you know, 16 inches tall or so, and it's intricately detailed with fish. Apparently some royal family had had it, but then it was taken from them during the Second Opium War, which adds to its mystique and desirability. Rare and valuable art indeed. The infamous Ming vase now seems to show up everywhere, and it sort of represents the the high point, or maybe even the ridiculously high point, of expensive vases. Here's one for you to enjoy, valued only at a mere $1.2 million dollars. Back now with something I think everybody finds pretty interesting. We're kind of scratching our heads over this. This vase, or vase, as David Gregory says, well, is worth $1.2 million. $1.2 million for this vase? So one of our stagehands is going to bring it over and tell us why it's so Great valuable and why it's I'm here in New York City. Where right they right found this story. thing. Where do they you know how, well, you know how they find, like, the Declaration of Independence yeah. in the garage? Yeah, something yeah. Well, this thing was oh, 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 my goodness, the horror, the shame, the shock. Did you see it on their faces? I mean, they were completely flabbergasted. Stunning, uncomprehending shock at the devastation of something so valuable. When something significant shatters, horrified lament is the only proper response. And that's why during the season of Lent, we're exploring the holy and right necessity of lamenting the things that are broken, 
not only in us, but also in our world. We started two weeks ago with a framework for lament in the life of Jesus' followers, seeing how lament functions in the middle of this tension that while it's true that God is good, it's also true that evil and suffering persist. Lament is our reaction to the absence of God's shalom. And it runs in five basic directions. Lament rages out. It's very bold, very honest about what is, what is happening, what needs to change. Lament lingers on. It's something that we need to sit in and sit with others in. It's, it's not something we need to rush. It's something we need to process and allow to unfold. Lament reaches back to the hurt of others and reminds us that God was faithful to them and will be faithful to us. Lament points forward to God. It rages out to God. It speaks to God. It orients itself. We orient ourselves to God in, in lament. But it also strains forward in hope for the redemption and resolution of life as it is. As we see in the Psalms, so much lament is personal, where people are crying out to God because of the struggles they are experiencing. When we feel lost or confused or haunted or hurt, it's right that we lament. And I'm very thankful for how Cheryl led us last week to lament personal pain. That is so important. Lamenting personal pain is central to our emotional and spiritual maturity as well as our healing and restoration. And I hope that you will have received the permission that you will be able to continue to lament personal pain, to process that together with others and with the Lord. Well, today we're continuing to lament. We're crying out to the Father because of the brokenness in the body of Christ among his people, the church. Does that surprise you that we would move from lamenting personal pain to lamenting corporate pain? That we would now lament the brokenness and divisions in the church? It might surprise you, but here's the thing. Lamenting the brokenness and division in the body of Christ is lamenting personal pain. Not only the personal pain that's experienced by people who are in the church, by people who are watching the church, but also the personal pain of Jesus Christ himself. The brokenness that we lament, when we lament the divisions and brokenness in the church, is deeply personal to the one that we love, to Jesus himself. We only really lament something that is valuable to us. And when that thing breaks, value, as we saw with Ming vases, for example, but now extend to anything we can think of, value takes a bunch of things into consideration. How much we paid for it, obviously, but the sentiment invested or the historical significance for sure, as well as the energy involved, maybe the status that it indicates or the shared regard that we as a community or family or people the shared regard we have for it. By these criterion, the church of Jesus Christ has immense value to Jesus himself. You can't forget this. 
the body of Christ, formed up of these local gatherings of Jesus' followers, extended not only around the globe today, but down through time. This is the precious family of God. I want you to think for a moment. I want us to feel the value that the church has to Jesus. I mean, our triune God created human beings to be in his image, to reflect God's kingdom to the world. That was our vocation. That's why we were created. I mean, how valuable do you have to be to get that role, first off? That's the backdrop. And when we failed to fulfill that vocation, God didn't just scrap his plan, but initiated rescue, redemption, renewal, sending ultimately his son Jesus to first of all fulfill the role that we failed to fulfill, but then to rescue us from sin, to reverse the curse, and to set us free to be who he had created us to be in the first place, now restored and recreated in the image of Jesus Christ himself. That's value, friends. As Jesus taught and healed and restored and revealed the Father to everyone that saw him teach and heal and restore, he forged around himself a new covenant community. And he taught them and he discipled them and he led them and he warned them and he, he, he you know, began to form them. And he prayed to his Father that these disciples, that we would be unified with each other as Jesus himself was unified with the Father, that they would all be one. And Jesus extended this prayer in John 17 into the future, praying that we, I mean, literally praying for us, that we would be experiencing this oneness of relationship that so captures who God is that the watching world, when they see Jesus' followers loving one another, they would see the Father's love. They would experience the Father's healing. They would get in on the restoration that God is bringing to the whole world. Are you getting a picture of the significance that Jesus places on his church? And then he made it all happen by paying for it, by paying for us with his own precious blood. Never lose sight of this fact, the value that Jesus places on us. There's no higher price that could be rendered. When we go to communion later today, we'll be reminded of just that. But too often, we think of this price that Jesus paid only individualistically, as though I'm just thankful that Jesus died for me, that he paid for my sins, that it's about my solitary life as though Jesus is only thinking of a whole bunch of individual people. Now listen, there's truth in there. God's lavish love thankfully applies to each and every solitary individual. Thank you, Jesus. He really did do it for you. But we're mistaken if we think it's all about the individuals and forget that Jesus was primarily establishing a new people, a new humanity a new covenant community. That Jesus died to make us whole and to make us one. Not only with God, which has often got the focus, but also at the very same time 
with each other. This means, quite frankly, that there's no such thing as a right relationship with God that then excludes or ignores right relationship with others. Or to put it bluntly, we can't be saved without each other. In Ephesians 2, one of my favorite passages, we read that Jesus died to destroy the barriers that were keeping people apart. And in the original um, context, the primary reference was the long-held schism between Jews and Gentiles and the fact that Jesus had come to eliminate that barrier. We discover a little further in Ephesians 2.15 that Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in his one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. We're saved together. Why am I saying all this stuff? You already know this, right? You're thinking, well, Tom, you're, you're telling me stuff I already am aware of. I'm trying to remind us, I'm trying to remind myself to put the value that Jesus places on the church in right perspective. Jesus clearly places us as a corporate body in a very special category that we, as the people of God, have been auctioned off to the highest bidder and that highest bidder made his bid from the cross. But, wait, there's more. Because not only did Jesus ransom us from death and spring us from the grave, he decided to take up residence within us by the Holy Spirit. But again, and we cannot miss this, when we read or discover or learn that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, being a temple of the Holy Spirit is not first and foremost about Jesus or the Holy Spirit being in us individually. It's about us as the body of Christ. Who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? The right answer is first, us. The people of God, a community. God's multi-ethnic, multilingual, multi-generational, cross-historical community of Jesus' people. That we individually are little temples of the Holy Spirit is only true by extension of this larger fact that the Holy Spirit indwells the body of Christ, of which we are a part. Wow. I mean, really, wow. You gotta, you gotta drill down on this. Hold on to this. How can we even begin to put a value, a price tag, any kind of estimation on the preciousness of the body of Christ? God lives in us. One final thing. None of this is true of us as a community, so that we can now just sit back and enjoy our esteemed status. Everything that God has done in Christ by the Holy Spirit for the church, making us one with him, making us one with each other, indwelled and unified by the Spirit, all of this is so that we can be for the world who God has called us to be in the first place. That through Jesus Christ, God restores us to our original vocation, which is to reflect God's goodness to the world 
even as we reflect creation's praise to God. And how do we do that exactly? As the unified, spirit-filled, loving body of Christ. Our shared unity in Christ, the way that we love one another, is the way that Jesus wins back the world. Remember, in the upper room, when Jesus drilled down to the very center of everything he was about, John 13, he said, a new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you so you must love one another. And we just spent a few months exploring an extension of that in the book of the little letter of 1 John, right? This is at the heart of everything, to love one another as Jesus has loved us. But then Jesus goes on to say the kind of effect that our love for one another will have. By this, our love for each other that is expressed as how Jesus loved us, that love, this, by this, Jesus said, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If. If. How valuable is the church to Jesus? Off the charts. Inestimable. It can't be rated. <laughs> more valuable than a Ming vase. More valuable than any amount of money. More valuable than you see your own kids. More than you value your own comfort or security. Jesus holds the church, his body, in higher regard than anything that you and I could ever imagine. And that's why the church... The body of Christ is described in so many wondrous ways. Body of Christ, obviously. Temple Holy Spirit, we've already talked about that. But also the bride of Christ. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. Christ's ambassadors. Salt and light. And all as the unified body of Jesus Christ. The body that Jesus died to make one. We need to feel this down deep. We need to pray, actually, that God will reveal his heart for the church to us so that we can feel the value of it and not just dismiss it or disregard it or think of it as, you know, something, you know, but rather to feel with Jesus the value, the love, the preciousness that he feels for the church. Because it's when we know that value we can ask this question. How does Jesus react to the church's shattering? How does Jesus respond to church division? It's incredibly tragic. And it makes God very, very upset. The Apostle Paul, when he was trying to bring discipline and correction to a very confused, very divided, very shattered Corinthian Christian church, he reminded them of who they were corporately as the temple of the Holy Spirit and how their actions of elitism, selfishness, disregard for each other were in effect acts of terrorism against God's holy temple. And so Paul warns them with the strongest possible language. If you've ever wondered what God thinks about division in the body of Christ about backbiting 
or in forgiveness, about ignoring one another, or buying into patterns of gossip or hurt or pettiness or bitterness. If you've ever, ever wondered, here's your answer. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. Don't you know that you yourselves, plural, you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I hope you hear the plural language there. That's a big deal going on here. You as a community. And then he says, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Oh, this is heavy stuff, friends. I hope you feel that. I feel that. There's a huge warning here. People who destroy God's temple, who tear down, who shatter or disregard or deceive or fail to love or fail to care. God will destroy them. Yikes. That's the value that God places on his people. That's the value that God places on the body of Christ, unified and loving one another. And so, when we see the body of Christ divided, as we often do now, we must lament. When we hear of a brother or a sister who are refusing to speak to one another, refusing to forgive or to accept forgiveness, we must lament. When we see professing Christians speak words of hate toward other believers, rather than building them up, we must lament. When we discover within our own fellowship, within our own hearts, a disregard for a brother or a sister who doesn't see things the same way that we do, we must lament. We must lament because the body of Christ is being broken, hurt, torn apart in a way that absolutely grieves the heart of God and mocks the price that Jesus paid. I don't think I need to convince you of the reality of our brokenness, at least at a larger stage. Read history. Watch the news. Talk to friends, and it's clear the church is so often divided. Too many seem to be hardening into positions against each other rather than serving one another in love. Jesus weeps, friends. Now, there are reasons for these divisions. I get that. And some are even legitimate. But however the shattering happens, it is always tragic. I, I love to officiate at weddings. It's a great treat. I, I love to see couples come together and pledge their lives to one another. And just the, the beauty of the day and the experience of, of, of sharing the hopes and the dreams that are coming in the future. It's wonderful to be part of that special day. But sadly, I've seen down the road a few years, some of these couples who were there at the altar that day, smiling and so filled with hope, who then went on to seek a divorce because their marriage had failed. Now, divorce at times is necessary and advisable, but it's always tragic. It's always something that we lament. 
because it signals the loss of something that God designed for good and for glory. It represents so many hopes lost and shattered dreams, something precious coming to an end and it must be lamented. Well, so it is with the church. Some separations, some divisions, both in history and today, are, are necessary. Perhaps even, you would say, surgical, needing to deal with a cancer in the body that must be destroyed. I get it. But usually, most often, that's not what causes divisions. What most often harms or breaks the church is selfish, sinful behavior, unforgiveness, pride, disregard for one another, the kind of sin that the Holy Spirit is trying to get us to repent of, to turn around and leave, to change. The Holy Spirit is trying to deep us, lead us more deeply into fellowship with Him and with each other, not away from each other. But however division happens, it must always be lamented and mourned and grieved. And so for today, I won't keep going on and on, as you know I can do. I want instead to lead us in lament, based simply on this, that God holds us as his church, both local and global, in an unimaginably high value. And when the body of Christ is broken or shattered or divided, we must lament that. We may need to do more than lament, but we need to lament. We need to start there. We need to join our grieving voices with the groanings of the Holy Spirit for his afflicted temple. So to do that, we're going to go to the Lord's table together today. We receive the core New Testament teaching about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. I've already mentioned how dysfunctional and divided the Corinthian church was, and everything Paul says in this letter, he addresses a lot of different things, is all an attempt to do damage control and wake this church up to the reality of what they're doing to each other. And these gatherings around the Lord's Supper were absolutely no different. Listen to how it starts. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when some of you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. I hope you can hear the sarcasm in that because that's what Paul's doing there. Wow, this church needs help. And so now Paul's going to go on and give them basic teaching about the Lord's table into a church that is so, so divided. Why? Because if there's ever a place where we need to both lament the brokenness of the body of Christ, but come together unified, it is at the table of Jesus. Communion speaks to a divided church. We come to the table today as a church. And you need to know, I know there might be some of you right now that are thinking, whoa, why is Tom preaching about this? Like, is there something going wrong with the Erickson Covenant Church? Actually, nothing more than normal. I mean, we experience division and struggle and, and relationships and, you know, that's going on. That always is going on. We're people. But really, as a church, we're doing reasonably well. But the truth is, this grieves the heart of God. And we lament this with Him. And we come together with a renewed sense around the table of our call to be loving 
to be unified, our desire to be united in Christ. Today, I've asked Glenna Balcom to join me at the communion table together. Well, Glenna, I'm so glad that you joined not only me today, but all of us today here at the communion table. And I, I think maybe even before we begin, I don't know if there's anything you want to say to, to everyone. I'd love to say it's good to be back. And I know that you're out there, my great friends. And uh, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here today. Thank you, Tom. Awesome. Well, as you know, we are exploring lament during this Lent season. And today we're going to do communion a little bit differently. Um, normally we have a bit of a liturgy we follow, but today we're going to lament together as we participate in communion. And so I invite you, uh, as well as us, we're going to hold the juice uh, and the bread, and we're going to lament together, both Glenna and I, and I, I hope you will join us in this. And as we're doing that, we're going to drink and eat of the body and the blood. And and so um, it's going to be a little bit more of a whole uh, participation in that sense. Um, so that's where we're going today. Um, and I just want to read as we begin um, the standard words that we receive from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, in the original context, Paul then goes on to give quite specific instructions for this very divided community in how they should participate in communion to bring healing to their body life. I don't know what it may be for you particularly today, but I do know that as the church, global and local, we need healing. And so we're going to lament today, together. We're going to lament together with the Lord Jesus about the brokenness of his church. We'll take the juice. I encourage you at home to hold uh, maybe a bigger cup of juice than normal, as well as the bread. We're going to take this and hold this together, and we're going to pray. I'll begin. We lament, Lord Jesus Christ, for the divisions in your church. We are your body, created to be one with each other through your death on the cross. And yet, we are so often difficult, unloving, shattered and isolated from each other. And for this, we lament. In this lament, we join you in expressing our desire for wholeness, for forgiveness, and for life. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would groan within us for your broken temple and that you would act decisively to heal and restore your church as the images of Christ 
we were created to be. Father in heaven, we lament the sin that causes these divisions. We lament the selfishness and pride that feels so much hurt, both in local fellowships and among larger bodies of yours in the world. We lament the presence of confusion or deception that causes people to forsake you or forget about who you are. We lament the ways personal sin or cultural sin has stained your body, causing irreparable damage to your church. We cry out to you, God, to forgive us, to heal us, to cleanse us, to renew us, in your name and to your glory. O oh Lord, hear our prayer. As your body was broken on the cross and your blood was shed for our forgiveness, we take this bread and this juice today, eating and drinking as a sign of both lament and of hope. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us as it is in heaven. This is the body of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. Take and eat. Lord Jesus Christ, we lament also the hurt that has been done to others because of the divisions in your body. You said that it would be better for someone to be weighted down by a stone and drown in the sea than cause one of your little ones to stumble and fall. And yet, we confess that divisions, selfishness, pride, and sin have done exactly that to so many people. Lord, have mercy on your little ones. Restore those who have been hurt. Protect them by your powerful name. So many people have experienced church hurt. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we lament that the phrase church hurt even exists. And we cry out to you for them, that you would meet and win and welcome those who've been hurt back into your family back into fellowship with your people. Forgive us, Lord, and correct us so that we love others as you loved us. Oh Lord, hear our prayer. As your body was broken on the cross and your blood was shed for our forgiveness, we take this bread and this juice today, eating and drinking as a sign of both lament and of hope. May your kingdom come and your will be done in us as it is in heaven. Holy Spirit, we lament the way our divisions have diminished our witness. Our witness to Christ. We understand that our purpose is to reveal the love of the Father for the world through our love for each other. And we lament that we have often not done so. And as a result, the watching world has often missed who you are. Have often missed who you are because of our sin. Lord, have mercy. Lord, recreate in us a vibrant witness through our loving presence in this world. 
We pray with you that the world will know you because of our shared love. We lament the loss of witness that has been sustained. And we pray that men and women and children in our community, in our world, will see a truly loving church, unified by your spirit and poured out for the world. Lord, hear our prayer. As your body was broken on the cross and your blood was shed for our forgiveness, we take this bread and this juice today, eating and drinking as a sign of both lament and of hope. May your kingdom come and and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord Jesus Christ, we praise you and thank you that on the cross you tore down the dividing wall of hostility and made us one. Lord Jesus, we ask for healing, for restoration. We lament, but we also hope. We offer ourselves afresh to you again asking for your spirit to work the resurrection in us. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, lament leads us to response. As we lament, as we lamented today, sin, division, hurt, it could be that the Holy Spirit sparked some kind of response in you. Maybe there is something that the Spirit is leading you to repent over. Or perhaps there is someone that you need to reach out to, to express care and love for, to reestablish connection. I don't know what that might be, but my invitation to each one of us today is to be attentive to the Spirit's voice in the lament, that we would move forward lamenting the division, but in a way where the Spirit is leading us to bring healing. So I call all of us to be attentive to that. Following our service today, you may want to explore this further. I want to host a Zoom call for anyone who would like to join afterwards when, when we're done today. And so maybe this will be a kind of conversation. We can talk about whatever, chat, visit, but this might be the kind of thing we can talk about as well. So I hope you are able to join us in that. As a closing song today, we're going to sing together Reckless Love. And I, I think that beautifully captures the heart of God for us. He goes after us. He goes after our, the brokenness, the broken person, the broken church. That this reckless love displayed by Jesus on the cross is displayed every day that follows. And so let's sing this together as our declaration, <laughs> our faith affirmation that the God that we love and serve is a God who's after us and won't let us go. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. 
You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.